All right, Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. So we're going to make our way to Zechariah toward the end of this Bible study tonight. Um, the book of Zechariah assumes the deity of Christ. There's not a lot of explanation for it. There's an assumption there. So what I want to do is I want to just trace through. Now, we're not going to go through every passage. We wouldn't have time to do that tonight. But I want to go through some passages, Old Testament, then to the New Testament fulfillment. Old Testament saying something about the Lord, and then the New Testament identifying that person as Jesus Christ. Have you ever heard someone say the Bible never says that Jesus is God? So if you ever deal with a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness or someone from the way, they'll tell you that. And the simple fact is they either don't know what they're talking about or they're lying. So we're going to go through the scriptures tonight. We're going to start in Isaiah chapter 40 and look with me at verse 3. The Bible says, The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. So that is a passage talking about this Messiah that would come, who is obviously the Lord. Now, when you see that word Lord with those capital letters like that, that's the name Jehovah. So that's identifying Jehovah. Let's see what the... Now, you might want to keep your place in Isaiah. We're going to be in Isaiah for, uh, for quite a few of these. So just hold Isaiah and go to John chapter 1. John 1 verse 23. He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. So this is John the Baptist talking about the, the Messiah that would come, Jesus Christ. And he is saying that he is fulfilling this passage and that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the passage. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. And he was making the way straight for Jesus Christ. Look at John chapter 3 and verse 28. If you look at verse 27, John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except to be given him from heaven. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. So again, he's actually referring back to his own statement in chapter 1. So this is John the Baptist talking about the deity of Jesus Christ. And remember that the Isaiah uh, passage, Isaiah 40 and verse 3, that's saying that Jesus Christ is Jehovah God. There's no greater statement of the deity of Christ than just that. But let's continue. Go to Isaiah chapter 45. Isaiah 45, look at verse 23. So this is God speaking to uh, Isaiah. Verse 22, Look unto me, and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God... And there is none else. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return. That unto me, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear. All right. So look at Philippians chapter 2. Have you all ever noticed how many Bible studies aren't really Bible studies? 
You know, you look at a verse and then talk about something else for the whole time. At Grace Baptist, we like to actually do Bible study. And it helps to have a Bible. So if you don't have a Bible, look in the, under the chair in front of you and there's a Bible there. But look at Philippians chapter 2 and verse 9. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him, this is Jesus, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Boy, if that's not a passage proving the deity of Christ, then I don't know what is. So again, remember, there are people who say that the Bible never says that Jesus is God. Well, that's silly, isn't it? It's just silly. All right, look at Romans chapter 14 and verse 11. This is another cross-reference to Isaiah 45:23. So look at chapter, uh, Romans chapter 14 and verse 11. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So the cross-reference to Philippians 2 is showing, in, in Romans, is showing that Jesus Christ is God in the New Testament itself. All right, so Jesus Christ is God. Go back to Isaiah chapter 44. Isaiah 44, look at verse 24. Thus saith the Lord thy Redeemer, and he that formed thee from the womb, I am the Lord that maketh all things, that stretcheth forth the heavens alone, that spreadeth abroad the earth. I love those two words. You might want to mark those two words. By myself. Isn't that good? I'm the Lord. I'm your Redeemer. I created everything, and I like it, that stretcheth forth the heavens alone and spreadeth abroad the earth by myself. So John 1, look at verse 3. And this is something, you're going to want to get this CD, and if you're not able to write all the references right now, and get them in your Bible for when you're dealing with someone who doesn't believe the Bible teaches that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Um, I did this years ago. I wanted to be able to defend from the Scriptures the deity of Christ. And if you remember when we had that cultist from the way come in and try and disrupt the Wednesday night service, that I was able to just go verse after verse after verse showing what the Bible says about the deity of Christ. As Christians, is there anything... Is there anything... Uh, maybe other than the, the gospel that a believer ought to be able to do more than assert the deity of Jesus Christ. So if you're a Christian and you don't know what the Bible says about Jesus, by, and by the deity of Christ, that means he's God. That's the word that means he's God. He's God. As a, as a Christian, that's just baby steps, isn't it? Being able to assert and defend the fact that Jesus Christ is indeed God. Because that's, that's what we believe. And boy, if Jesus isn't God, then we're of all men most miserable, aren't we? And so let's make sure that we can do that. And that's what a, a Bible study like tonight is. So John chapter 1 and verse 3, All things were made by Him. That's the word, Jesus. All things were made by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. All right? So 
He said, I did it by myself. And here it says that the Word did it by Himself. That means that the Word is God. All right? So go to Isaiah chapter 6. And read verses 1 through 5. It's a familiar passage. In the year that King Uzziah died, I also, or I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the, the seraphims, each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts." Um, I just think it's interesting, these people who claim to have gone to heaven and seen God, this is never their reaction. And I'm just telling you, when people see God, they are undone. They are undone. Look at John chapter 12, John 12 verse 37. John 12, verse 37, But though He had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on Him, that the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report? And to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Okay, so that's um, Jesus identifying Isaiah's writing in Isaiah chapter 53 as dealing with Him. Okay, so this is Jesus quoting Isaiah chapter 53 in verse 38. So look at verse 39. Therefore, they could not believe because that Isaiah said again, He hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, that they should not see with their eyes nor understand with their heart and be converted, and I should heal them. These things said Isaiah when he saw his glory and spake of him. So when did he see the glory? In Isaiah chapter 6. There's something that's really important happening here. Um, one of the things that happened in liberalism, and it's made its way into a lot of evangelical Christianity. And by liberalism, remember what I'm talking about. This is in the late 1700s all the way through the 1800s. There was this move to um, weaken the authority of Scripture. And so people started questioning the authorship of the certain books of the Bible. So one of the attacks on Isaiah is a theory called Deutero-Isaiah. So biblical Isaiah wrote the first part, but a different man, someone else, wrote the second part because the prophecy is so specific, no one could have gotten those details correct, no one person. And the, um, the grammar changed a little bit in the second part of the book of Isaiah. See, this is the problem with something called source criticism. And I'm getting in the weeds a little bit, but it's good for you to know this. There are different types of criticism. There's textual criticism that's determining whether the text, you're looking at different manuscripts and you're determining which text is the right reading. There's another type of criticism. It's called form criticism. 
form criticism is what would bring you Deutero-Isaiah because his form, the form of his writing changed. And then there's something called source criticism. Where did the writer get the information? So where did Mark get his information for the gospel of Mark? So if you read historians, they'll say, well, he got it from the apostle Peter. But the Bible never says that. That comes from one line where Eusebius, this, the, the bishop of Caesarea in the 300s, is quoting a guy named Papias, but he's not even quoting something that Papias wrote. He's, wroting, he, he's quoting something that someone said that Papias wrote. And based on this one line in a history, everyone says Mark got his information from Peter. Do you know where Mark got his information? From the Holy Spirit. That's the only source that we need for source criticism. Form criticism, it's just a, it's just a huge problem as well because the Bible makes it very clear that the Word of God, holy men of God, spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. You know, sometimes you'll hear that God allowed the, the writers to use their personality in their writing. Well, sometimes, other times they just wrote what He told them to write and they didn't even understand what they were writing. Where's their personality in that? Remember what it says in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 10. They didn't know what they were writing. They didn't understand it. And the Holy Spirit said to them, it's not for you, it's for them that hear the gospel preached with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. It's not for you. They didn't, so where is this whole idea that they got a source from somewhere and then God allowed them to use their own personality to write it? I just don't find that in the Bible. What you'll see is they didn't use something called mechanical dictation. You'll hear that. And what people are trying to avoid is an association with the occult where you have that automatic writing thing in the occult that takes place. And they don't want people to think that that's what God did. Well, if he did do that, what would be the difference in what that and what we have in the Bible? They wrote every word that God wanted them to write. So whether he ordained it through using their personality and through the influence they had in their life, or if they just sat down and God said, write this, and they wrote it down exactly what he said. What's the difference in the, in the way that it turned out? So the reason I bring that up is this issue of form criticism with Isaiah and Deutero-Isaiah that is, Jesus Christ answered that for us. So who are you going to listen to? A Bible scholar or Jesus? I'm really disappointed. Like three people answered that question. Let's try it again. So who are you going to listen to? A Bible scholar or Jesus? Jesus. Amen. All right. See, I'll, I'll, I won't quit now. So look at verse 38 again. That the saying of Isaiah, the prophet, might be fulfilled. And he quotes Isaiah 53. Look at the end of verse 39. Because that Isaiah said again, and he talks about Isaiah chapter 6. Jesus Christ is saying that the same guy wrote Isaiah 53 and Isaiah chapter 6. Maybe these source critics should have read their Bible. Maybe these form critics should have read their Bible. Do you know what they should have done? They should have, according to uh, 1 Timothy 1.13, follow after the form of sound words. That's the form criticism that they need. All right? So this is the fulfillment, Jesus Christ saying that he is the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 53 and Isaiah chapter 6. Go to Isaiah 8. Isaiah 8, verse 13. You can read verses 13 and 14. Sanctify the Lord of hosts Himself, and let Him be your fear, and let Him be your dread. Does that fear and dread, does that look like reverential law? Interesting, isn't it? 
And he shall be for a sanctuary, but for a stone of stumbling and for a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel, for a gin and for a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. That word gin, um, we would use the word engine. It's a machine, like a cotton gin. All right, so there's some kind of mechanical snare is what it's being spoken of here. So um, this is what the Bible says that Jesus Christ is going to be. So go to First Peter chapter 2. Verse 7. I'm sorry, this is what saying God is going to be. First Peter 2, verses 7 and 8. Unto you, therefore, which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. So this is more evidence of the deity of Jesus Christ because God said He was going to be those things. All right, Isaiah chapter 42. Look at verse 8. I am the Lord, that is my name. So, do you, is there any doubt about who's speaking here? I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. Man, that's so good, isn't it? I love that verse. All right, go to John chapter 17, verse 5. You'll notice that we're going to the Gospel of John a lot because John presents Jesus Christ as the Son of God. And uh, here in the future, we're going to go through and do a study of Jesus Christ being the Son of God because what that means is He's God. All right, look at John chapter 17 and verse 5. And now, O Father, glorify Thou me with Thine own self, with the glory which I had with Thee before the world was. Okay, so hold your place there. We've got to go back to the Isaiah. Let's compare that. Look at what he said in Isaiah 42, 8. I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory will I not give to another. So what is that saying? When Jesus said, restore now to me the glory which I had with thee before the world was, that means he's God. That means he's God. He doesn't share that glory. All right? I love that passage, by the way. It's just one of my favorites. That's what Jesus Christ gave up to come here, by the way. He laid aside that glory. The thing that's the most important thing to him, that's what he laid aside for us. And now he has it back. Praise God. All right, Isaiah chapter 60. Isaiah 60. I think it's verse 19. Yeah. The sun shall be no more thy light by day, neither for brightness shall the moon give light unto thee. But the Lord shall be unto thee an everlasting light, and thy God thy glory. All right. Look at Luke chapter 2. Verse 30. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation 
which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. So remember what's happening here. This is a, a, a vision about who Jesus Christ is, and it's a fulfillment of the passage in Isaiah chapter 60. All right? Look with me at Psalm 102. All right, look at verse 24. Psalm 102, verse 24. I said, O my God, take me not away in the midst of my days. Thy years are throughout all generations. Of old hast thou laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. They shall perish, but thou shalt endure. Yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment, as a vesture shalt thou change them, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall have no end. So this is a psalm about God and his, how he endures. Everything else changes, but God does not change. Look at Hebrews chapter 1. Verse 10. And thou, Lord, in the beginning, hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest, and they all shall wax old as doth a garment. And as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. But to which of the angels said he at any time, Sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? And so this passage is speaking of Jesus Christ. And so when we looked at it in Psalm 102, it's quoted here in the book of Hebrews as speaking about Jesus Christ, again, defending the deity of Christ. So hold your place here in Hebrews and go to um, Psalm 45. Verse 6. I look at verses 6 and 7. All right, Psalm 45, verse 6. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. Thou lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness. Therefore, God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Okay, thy throne, O God, is forever. Let's see who he's, see who he's talking about. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8. But unto the Son, he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Who's he saying that to? The Son, Jesus Christ. Look at verse 9. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Now, um, I'm sure that most of you have 
seen this or heard me mention it, if you haven't, it's really important that you get this. Hebrews chapters 1 and 2 are basically a thumb in the eye to Satan. Everything that Satan wanted for himself, the Bible gives that, the Father gives that to Jesus Christ. So think about what he said. I will exalt my throne above the, the, the heavens. I will be like the Most High. All of those things that he wanted to do. Okay, look at Hebrews chapter 1. Uh, remember what it says in Ezekiel chapter 28. Um, Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God, hast walked up and, walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. And that stones of fire, that's Isaiah chapter 6, the coals that are taken off before the throne and all of those things. But that's where Satan was. And it says, Thou, thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. He would reflect the glory of God throughout the universe. His name is Lightbearer. That's what Lucifer means. And he says, Thou hast been lifted up in pride because of thy beauty. So it wasn't really his beauty. He was reflecting the glory of God. And again, God's not going to share that glory, is he? And so he was cast down. But everything that Lucifer wanted, look at it, what it says in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Who? Being the brightness of his glory. Not reflecting the brightness of his glory. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Where did Satan want to sit? That's given to Jesus. Then look at this. What was Lucifer? He was an angel, right? Being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And, it, and this is why it's so important in John 3.16, for God to love the world that He gave His only begotten Son. If you have an NIV or a modern translation, it says His only Son. That's the only time God ever had a begotten Son. This day have I begotten thee. It's vital. It's vital. All right? And again, when He bringeth the first begotten into the world, He saith, and let all the angels of God worship Him. Do you see how this is, a, this is speaking directly to Satan? And of the angels, he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But unto the Son, he saith, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. So he's saying that Jesus Christ is God and his throne will last forever. Satan's throne will not. Um, look at verse 13. But to which of the angels said he at any time, sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? Yeah, there's a, there's a devil, but he's God's devil. As much as Lucifer would hate to admit it, he is still a minister of God. Satan can't do anything that God doesn't let him do. That's an amazing thing. All right, go with me to uh, Psalm 23. And I was just going to read verse 1, but let's read the, the whole psalm here tonight, okay? Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. 
He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's an interesting thing. Psalm 22 through 24 is um, the, the message of redemption. So Psalm 22, Jesus Christ is crucified. Look at verse 1. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And all of the crucifixion is identified in Psalm 22 in, in amazing detail. All right. But then Jesus Christ rose from the dead. In Psalm 23, the Lord is the shepherd. Remember what happens, that God in the tribulation period gives His people a mark. He marks them in their foreheads. Hold your place in Psalm 23. Go to Revelation chapter 14. Let's start in Revelation chapter 7. All right, verse 2, And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice. So a seal. All right, you see that? And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. So just as in Revelation chapter 13, look at that. Verse 16, Revelation 13, 16. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save that he had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred three score and six. So you can't buy or sell without that mark, Right? And God said, don't hurt the earth until I've sealed my servants in their foreheads. Look at uh, Revelation 14, verse 1. And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him an hundred, forty, and four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. All right? So they're, they're marked. They're marked. Look at um, Deuteronomy. You're going to want to keep your place in Psalms, but... Deuteronomy, chapter 32. All right, verse 5. They have corrupted themselves. Their spot is not the spot of his children. They are a perverse and crooked generation. You see that? So... What he's saying is God's people have a different spot. They have a different mark than Satan's people. When does this happen? Look at Deuteronomy chapter 31, just the chapter before, verse 29. For I know that after my death you will utterly corrupt yourselves and turn aside from the way which I have commanded you, and evil will befall you in the latter days, because ye will do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke Him to anger through the work of your hands. So... 
What the Bible is saying is in the latter days, during the tribulation period, God is going to mark His people in their foreheads. That's what He's going to do. Go back to Psalm 23. So remember, Jesus Christ died, Psalm 22. Psalm 23, remember, the, the church is not in the Old Testament. The church is a parenthesis in the Old Testament, uh, in God's work. The church isn't mentioned. So you go straight from where they reject Jesus and crucify Him to the tribulation period. Psalm 23 is the tribulation period. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Why is that important? Because all the green grass is burned up. Remember, He said, don't hurt the green grass. Don't hurt the grass till I've sealed them. Is that what we just read? Think about that. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me aside still waters. But remember, don't touch the grass or the, the sea till I've sealed them in their foreheads. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Whose name's written in their heads? Their Father's name. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, will there ever be a time where Israel walks more in the valley of the shadow of death than in tribulation? I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. How does that work? You can't buy or sell without the mark. The only problem is Satan's people can't tell the difference in that mark. So God prepares a table before them in the presence of their enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. If you take that mark, you're not going to go to heaven. But if you have God's mark, you're going to. That's the tribulation. Then what happens in Psalm 24? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Why is that? What's that verse talking about? He's just destroyed the world in the tribulation. He's just destroyed it all. What happens in the tribulation, if you look through all of the, the seven trumpets, the seven, um, I'm sorry, seven seals, the seven trumpets, and the seven vials, it's every one of those deals with the six days of creation. God takes back everything that He gave in the creation. Why? Because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and, and they that dwell therein. For he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. So who's going to walk up that hill of the Lord when in, in Jerusalem? These are all the people that make it through the tribulation by enduring till the end. Right? Verse 5. He shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of them that seek Him, that seek thy face. Do you remember what it says in Revelation chapter 6? And the kings of the earth and the great men and the mighty men cried unto the rocks and the mountains and said, Fall on us and hide us from the wrath of the Lamb and from the face of Him that sitteth on the throne. What do they say in Psalm 67? Lord, be merciful unto us and bless us. Cause thy face to shine upon us. Selah. Whenever you see that word Selah, it's dealing with the millennium that kingdom rest that God is giving them, okay? This is the generation of them that seek Him, that seek thy face. Now look at this. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Look at Zechariah chapter 14. Hold your place here. Zechariah chapter 14. I wasn't going to do any of this, but... 
precious lady back there wanted Psalm 23. So this is what Psalm 23 is. Zechariah, remember Zechariah 13, verse 8. And it shall come to pass that in all the land, saith the Lord, two parts therein shall be cut off and die, but the third shall be left therein. And I will bring the third part through the fire and will refine them as silver is refined and will try them as gold is tried. They shall call on my name and I will hear them. I will say, it is my people, and they shall say, the Lord is my God. 14, verse 1. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. Look at verse 3. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle, and his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives which is before Jerusalem, all right? So Jesus Christ is going to go up to that mountain of God. He's going to stand on it. But when is that going to happen? After he has fought this battle, all right? Back to Psalm 24, verse 8. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Even lift them up, ye everlasting doors. And the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Selah. Remember every time you see that King of hosts, or that Lord of hosts? That's Jesus Christ leading his armies in battle. That's what the Lord of hosts is. I think the Lord of hosts is used 53 times in the book of Zechariah. It's the Lord of hosts, Lord of hosts, strong in battle, mighty in battle, and then Selah. He's going to win that battle and then he's going to establish his kingdom for a thousand years. So Psalm 22, the crucifixion. Psalm 23, the tribulation. Psalm 24, Jesus Christ coming back in glory. Isn't that wonderful? All right. So I think that's probably enough for tonight. Should I do the cross-reference to Psalm... I need to do... So go Psalm 23, verse 1. We need to do the Messianic cross-reference for that. All right. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd... I shall not want. Go to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 10. Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand. So Isaiah 40, verse 10. Behold, the Lord will come with strong hand, and His arm shall rule for Him. Behold, His reward is with Him, and His work before Him. He shall feed His flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. All right. What did Jesus Christ say about himself? Look at John chapter 10. John chapter 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. What happened in Psalm 22? He gave his life for the sheep. What happened in Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Isn't, that, isn't the Bible an amazing book? It's just an amazing book. We'll finish up the, the cross-references from the Old Testament to the New Testament on the deity of Christ next week. So I've shown you the mark of the beast. Um, if you want the other important cross-reference to that, go to uh, Ezekiel chapter 9. 
just so you can see what's going on with it. Ezekiel chapter 9. Verse 1, He cried also in mine ears with a loud voice, saying, Cause them that have charge over the city to draw near, even every man with his destroying weapon in his hand. And behold, six men came from the way of the higher gate, which lieth toward the north, and every man a slaughter weapon in his hand. And one man among them was clothed with linen, with a writer's inkhorn by his side. And they went in and stood beside the brazen altar. And the glory of the God of Israel was gone up from the cherub whereupon he was to the threshold of the house. And he called to the man clothed with linen, which had the writer's inkhorn by his side. So remember, this is when, remember I, I said, uh, I, I think it was Sunday, maybe it was last Wednesday night, that when the glory left the temple, the glory wasn't going to go back into the temple until it came wrapped in flesh and bones. And we beheld his glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father. As that glory is leaving, the glory stops. That's Jesus the express image of his person, and says, don't hurt anyone yet. See if this sounds anything like Revelation chapter 7. And the glory, verse 3, And the glory of the God of Israel was gone up from the cherub, okay, so this is the Ark of the Covenant, whereupon he was to the threshold of the house. And he called to the man clothed with linen, which had the writer's inkhorn by his side. And the Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. And so with that mark that he put on their foreheads with an ink horn and, a, and a, a, a pen, they weren't killed because they had that mark. So when you see that in Deuteronomy 32, their, their spot is not the spot of the children of God. When you wonder what the mark of the beast is going to be, it's going to be a mark. You know, doesn't have to be a digital thing. Doesn't have to be anything like that. It's just a mark. Man, people are putting barcodes on themselves already. It's crazy, isn't it? Isn't that interesting? So I wanted you to see that passage. That's what ties it all together. All right. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for being here tonight.